want to introduce you here, Bob, and let you fill in any blanks that you think are necessary. Okay. And then I, I want to ask you some specific questions about um, what you did in a very short period of time with your private practice as well. Um, so uh, everybody that's watching this right now, this is uh, Robert Kowalik. I always call him Bob K. Um, Bob is a uh, husband, father of two, right? Dog father of two or three? One dog, uh, three grand dogs. Okay, great. Um, so, and the dog father is a behind the scene joke for everybody. I am the dog um, father. <laughs> Bob is a physical therapist. He's married to a physical therapist and your son is a physical therapist. Yes. Uh, um, Bob was an extremely successful private practice owner that I'll be diving uh, into here in, in a second. But um, in the state of Michigan, built a very successful practice, transitioned out of that practice and into the world of revenue cycle management. And commonly, private practice owners think of that as billing. Um, I, I would call him our resident expert in terms of all things billing and uh, financial management. Uh, anything else that you would like to add in there, Bob, in terms of your introduction? Not to leave my daughter out, who has her MBA, and she's a consultant in healthcare. Um, so she's very dialed into all the healthcare trends and stuff. So the whole family is all into um, helping private practice just, uh, you know, not just be surviving, but but try to thrive and be scalable and, and, and be stable. So, um, Excellent. yeah, we're... Um, I think you, you pretty much covered it. You know, my purpose in life at this point after selling a pretty big practice is to just help other private practice owners have the kind of success that they're after. Um, stay in the game. Don't feel like you have to sell, you know, optimize your practice, stabilize your practice, um, make your practice scalable. Everyone's here to grow. Um, and I'm really, I, how I really fit into this is being really part of the infrastructure about what, what you need to have to build and scale and grow on, right? So to really maximize the value of that. Yeah. So for everybody that's watching this, I, I think it would be super essential for them to understand that you, you actually did this in real life. And I know that our, our topic here is how to grow EBITDA that you started talking about. But can you take us back to the, I think it was 95 or 96 when you opened up. Um, can you talk us through um, how, what exactly you did in starting and growing your practice um, in, in terms of that EBITDA and um, what you ended up building there with your team in a, in a short period of time? Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I, I started with a startup, Scratch, two employees, grew to 10,000 visits a month in about four years. Um, I tell you, the single most significant uh, thing that drove that kind of growth was that um, we essentially found a way to do what you're all doing now through uh, op, uh, taking advantage of direct access, right? So we didn't have direct access at the time. Um, we were an outpatient sports and orthopedics clinic. So I employed a whole bunch of athletic trainers, stuck them in the high schools, to, and essentially created the, a model where we kind of controlled or owned the patient, right? We, we were the hub for musculoskeletal health. If someone needed a surgery, a high school kid in the area, we, we referred them out to the orthopedic surgeon. We, we were not dependent on the referral coming to us. We, we, we became the center of 
muscular skeletal health care and, and created a referral out network. And that's what really drove um, my success is, is being in that driver's seat in terms of who, who the community wanted to come to see to solve their musculoskeletal problem. Um, I sold it about 10 years later um, and sold at, a, at the time, uh, typical practices were selling at 3x, 4x. I sold at about 12x um, because I was, my, my practice was super structured, right? Um, it didn't depend on me. We had systems, we had infrastructure, we had process, we had just bulletproof revenue cycle at the time. Our, our uh, you know, it was a big practice, 10,000 visits, um, you know, about $100 a visit a month, or I'm sorry, $100 a visit. Um, and we gave no money away. We left no money on the table. My bad debt was four one hundredths of 1%. That's $400 per million. Um, and that's by creating systems and process and, and having data and all these things that are still entirely 100% totally relevant and important today. Great. So um, I, I know just based on our past talks, you are excellent at diving deep and breaking down uh, the, the main drivers to EBITDA. So from what I understand, it's revenue or income received, right? Total revenue in the practice minus, minus that your costs or the expenses to provide that visit right, creates some margin. So if you're at $100 a visit and it costs uh, $80 to provide that visit, um, then the, the EBITDA uh, contribution there or the margin, the profit would be $20, right? So can you talk through, um, you know, a, as you were growing and scaling, one of the most common pitfalls that we see is owners will literally, because they don't have those controls in, they will scale themselves out of business. So can you talk about, uh, you know, any challenges that you overcame there, what you learned along the way, um, or the, the big things that you see owners missing as they're growing and scaling and they don't have solid controls in? Sure. So for, first, just to, to position uh, practice value, right? EBITDA is an accounting term, earnings before interest, depreciation taxes, right? It's kind of a, it's a little bit confusing to really understand the, the accounting term. What, what really matters is um, the value of your practice, meaning what somebody would be willing to pay you for it, is really driven by your cash flow, your multiplier, and then you've got these book value things, so assets and liabilities. So let's put assets and liabilities off to the side because um, <clears throat> that's the last thing you want to be really driving the value of your practice. The two major drivers are your cash flow and then how you've created something that someone else is willing to give you a significant multiplier on that cash flow. So cash flow is essentially what it really comes down to is three major things: your revenue per visit, your cost per visit, and your number of visits. And so when when you're when you think about this big concept of how do I maximize the value of my business? We really have to boil the stuff down to into actionable things, right? What, what you, how, you don't directly control the value of your business. You control many, many drivers of value. And the, and, uh, the, the biggest, most impactful drivers are revenue per visit. The, the gap between revenue per visit and cost per visit 
times the number of visits, right? So that's, that's our objective in a nutshell is to raise revenue per visit as high as it can be within the structural limits of your practice. And there are structural limits, things like your payer mix, things like how you treat your patients, what your schedule structures are. Okay, those are all things that, um, you know, we can't just get $1,000 a visit, right? So, so your structure um, uh, really sets us what I call the revenue per visit ceiling. So the objective of the way you operate your practice is to get 100% of that revenue per, site, uh, revenue, uh, per visit ceiling, achieve that all the time. Um, and then align your cost structure in a way that creates a, a comfortable, um, valuable margin, right? You need separation between cost per visit and, and revenue per visit. And once you've created that gap and, and gotten that to a position that's, um, that's really uh, you know, valuable, makes every visit, which makes every new patient valuable, now the mission is go get as many new patients as possible and as many visits as possible. Where, you, where we have problems is when that gap, that margin on a per visit basis is so small. And we did a lot of work earlier this year around uh, COVID, the impact of COVID, uh, the PPP loans, all this stuff related to um, you know, what really helped a lot of practices survive. And I have tons of data on hundreds of practices um, about what their financial condition looked like. And um, the average margin in my sample, which was hundreds, several hundred uh, practices, the average margin was 11%. Um, so the difference between revenue per visit and cost per visit was 11%. So if you were getting $90 a visit, you, your cost was you know, um, basically $80 a visit. Um, and, um, you know, that, that created a, a, a scenario where it was very difficult to survive this unexpected, um, you know, bump in the road. And so the, the practices that fared really well, uh, and let me just say one other piece of really interesting information, 79% of all practices in our sample would have gone out of business without a PPP loan. So that, that, that tells you that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and I believe a lot of opportunity to improve practice value by focusing on maximizing revenue per visit, appropriately, properly aligning the cost per visit, and then really scaling. So um, the, the things that were um, the biggest drivers of the low margin were um, practice pr uh, process, uh, issues where they left a lot of money on the table. So they were not getting that revenue per visit ceiling. They were falling short of that. And costs that were, were, were primarily the 89%, um, 88% of all the costs were fixed and very difficult to get out from under. So as revenue dropped, costs stayed up and you really had to manage and negotiate your way out of cost. As a, um, so the percentage of uh, overhead that was variable, meaning if your revenue dropped, your expenses would go with it. If your revenue came up, your expenses. So it was a, was a very small percent, about 8% of all the expenses were variable. So the, 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 uh, the things that really drove the financial 
stress and crisis that we went through was um, leaving money on the table, too small of a margin, and, and costs that were not really connected to revenue the way in, in an optimal manner. And that created uh, the problem. And then so you had to have external money to get you over that hump to build a bridge. Um, we helped lots of practices get that. Um, and you know, now, now we're hopefully you know, past the whole thing with you know, uh, vaccines out and all that kind of stuff. But we, the, the lesson has to be, let's look at what created risk for us then. What created risk around you know, what started off as a 9% Medicare cut effective uh, a couple of weeks ago and ended up at a 3.6% cut. That, that, created, that creates risk. That's a revenue, a structural a ceiling drop on, on revenue per visit. It's going to happen in January 2022 with PTA and OTA 15% uh, reduction on, on the table. So we have to build businesses that are stable financially and scalable. And that's really what the exercise is and the focus is for, for this year. Great. So, um, and thanks for that breakdown, Bob. I want to go back to your formula, the three things that drive EBITDA. Um, yep. You talked about, you know, number one, raising the revenue per visit. Now, you and I know just from talking with owners and having to go through it ourselves, the, the number one mental pitfall there is, well, you know, there's nothing I can do. I'm sure my billing company or my billing person is doing everything that they possibly can do to collect every single cent. And, you know, right now we're in this range of 70 to $90 a visit, depending on the payer. Right. And I, I just hear that as bad control, right? You weren't running a 10,000 visit a month practice with that, or you're not scaling successfully with that sort of control. So can you, how do you help an owner um, see that their $77 revenue per visit um, that they're leaving money on the table there? Because I know nearly 100% of the time they are. Yeah. Um, number one is data. Okay. So you have to have good data that really accurately reflects what your reality is. Um, and, and a lot of owners don't really use, um, they, well, it's difficult to get good data because the softwares, there's so many softwares that everyone are in and there's varying degrees of how well softwares provide useful information. Um, the, the EMR medical billing, PT billing software world evolved from, from the viewpoint of collecting on claims, not managing businesses. And some do a lot better job at giving you good data, but I've yet to see a system though, I think there are some that are, are really uh, much better at it than others. Um, they give you kind of the, the, the information you need to know what's going on. So we, we know um, there's, there's three critical data points that you need to have in uh, what I'll call revenue cycle. And, I, and let me just say that um, don't think billing. Billing is a part of revenue cycle. Revenue cycle is anything that impacts and everything that impacts if, when, and how much you're paid. Okay, so you have um, your, your clinical operations obviously impact how much you're, you're going to be paid, right? Clinical documentation, charge capture, um, how you document, code diversity, right? time-based rules you're being used, software setup, systems, um, 
what what systems are you in? What clearinghouse are you through? Um, you know, front office operations, patient registration, eligibility, managing authorizations, credentialing. I can go down the list. There's many, many, many things. Then you get into billing. You know, proper um, coding, supportive coding, claim submission, um, posting correctly, managing your accounts receivables, the timing of follow-up, the, the process of follow-up, the reports, the data, all this stuff is revenue cycle. And you need to optimize your entire revenue cycle. Um, so three top level, really key metrics to know how revenue cycle is going. You have to monitor all the time and look at how these data points move relative to each other. First is your revenue per visit. That, that is the super driver of, of practice value. Second is your, I call, um, it's, it's a metric, um, I call it ADO score. ADO means average days outstanding. So you need to know in your accounts receivables how long on average it's taking you to get paid, but that's not good enough. You also have to know based on your payer max, how long it should take you to get paid. And there's ways to know that. And, and so we calculate this on, on everybody. Um, so we start with how long is it taking compared to how long should it take? And that relationship, it creates a percentage. And so you generally want to have an ADO score of 100%, meaning if, if it should take you 20 days to get paid, it is taking you 20 days to get paid. If it should take you 30 days to get paid, it is taking you 30 days to get paid. You have to know both sides of the equation. You know, as a PT, how do you know what any physical capability uh, is out, out of the context of what normal is, right? You have to know what normal is to, to start with. And you can't just have your number, oh, I'm 40 days. That's, people tell me that's great. Well, it could be great if you have a high percentage of workers comp or slow payers, right, by contract, but it's terrible if you're 100% Medicare. Um, you could be as low as 10 days on, on Medicare. So you have to know the context, and this is uh, payer mix driven, which ties into a lot of data, and we could talk for a long time about that. But so you've got your revenue per visit, you've got your you want to minimize time in accounts receivables. Your key metric for that is that ADO score, the relationship between how long it is taking and how long it should take. And then your third thing, and this might sound weird to you, but it really does come down to how efficiently your billing processes are executed. You have to understand time, uh, investment in billing process. And um, I'm a data freak. We've collected time on 27 different tasks in billing uh, for seven years now. I have millions of, of minutes. Um, and I can, I can relate the, uh, the time needed and the distribution of time to the kinds of problems that create, create trouble for billing, right? So you have to look at your billing as not, not a simple processor of claims, but an indicator of how well the entire revenue cycle is working. And to do that, you have to um, measure the time being spent at a process level. So um, the efficiency of your billing operation is a critical indicator of how everything is working. And, and so uh, just to make a quick example to understand that is, it, is if 
if your credentialing is out of whack and you got a non-credentialed therapist treating patients and you can't get paid, what, how does that impact the biller still submits the claim, the biller still tries to get a claim paid, the biller still does follow up, but there's no money. That's an extreme example. If you have an authorization management problem and you're exceeding authorized visits, that causes your billers to spend a lot of time working on claims that there's no dollars attached to. So the, the time per dollar or, um, or the relative time per visit in billing is a critical data point to have. And if you monitor those three data points relative to each other, um, it, it's very enlightening about you know, how things are going. Each one of those has a lot of sub metrics and things. And this is what we're kind of building for people to try to help them understand if we break it all down like this and we look at this stuff all the time. But um, there's a very, very high correlation between ADO scores above 150% and revenue per visit loss. Um, I can tell you that for years now, getting involved with practices that have 200% ADO scores, meaning it's taking twice as long as it should to get paid. And the correlation between a 200% ADO score, which we see all the time, and revenue per visit loss averages about 18%. Okay, so as you improve the processes and things that you need to bring this ADO score down to where it should be, revenue per visit goes up. And I have years and years and years of data that show the correlation between it's taking longer than it should to get paid and it's holding your revenue per visit down. And so the, the first focus, the low hanging fruit, the, the, the real um, you know, um, high value, low hanging targets to, to approach in, in any kind of practice improvement scenario is maximize the value of what you already do. Don't leave money on the table, don't give it away. Um, have the right data, know your situation, optimize all these processes that impact revenue, um, and then grow like crazy, right? So there, um, there is tremendous opportunity. Um, we commonly and regularly raise revenue per visit without changing payer mix, without changing how you treat, um, by just stopping all the things that leak revenue. And there, there's many, many ways that that happens. Great. So I think you crushed revenue there, uh, variable number one. Um, along those lines, you, you talked about an 18%, you know, on average, owners were basically leaving on the table uh, in uh, revenue per visit. Um, quick math, if I'm at 11%, the average in your survey in terms of margin, I, I, I'm guessing that takes me not just to 29, but it, it's like 32 or 33% margin with that 18% reduction or 18% improvement in revenue per visit. It's almost all margin is what I'm trying to say. Any, every dollar improvement in revenue per visit translates 100% into profit. Yeah, excellent. So um, a follow-up there that Brian Jocelyn had in, uh, he said if 11% is the average, what would be like a good standard, something to shoot for re regards regarding, uh, like what's the gold standard in margin? Yeah, um, I, would, I would say that um, a healthy, at least allows you to be more stable um, is, is over 20%. 
Okay, I mean, I think your first goal would be to get to 20%. Um, if you're below 20%, that should be your first real major milestone that you're heading for. 25% um, is, is very achievable. You know, physical therapy, private practice, you're never gonna have 100% margin, right? You're never gonna have 80% margins. You're not gonna have software company kinds of margins. But 20, 25, maybe even 30% is, is achievable. Um, there is a relationship between scale and margin. Um, so for any given fixed overhead, the more revenue you can add onto that, the bigger your margin gets. And then you get to a certain size where you have to make strategic decisions about, I need to increase infrastructure to grow again. And so you'll go through these phases of, I've maximized margin within the limits of my demand and capacity. And I'm gonna decide, do I have opportunity to keep growing? And now I take a little risk and I up capacity again, right? Now I've lowered my margin a little and now I need to grow into that. And so you play this game of making strategic decisions about when to strategically go into a little less margin to provide more opportunity to grow. Um, so I have, I have some uh, really, uh, can we talk about cost side real quick? Um, That's where I was going next. Yep. Okay. Fire. And then I'll, I want to put the, the impact together of, a, of what, what you could see from a little revenue per visit bump and a little cost per visit drop and how impactful that really is. I have some really cool data to share on that. Send it. <laughs> okay. Cost per visit. Um, just understand that your, your biggest cost in this kind of business is your labor right? Um, then you have your non-labor fixed costs, things like your rent, um, you know, things like your equipment lease, right? Things, stuff like that, where it's, it doesn't matter how many visits you have, you're paying X number of dollars. If you got 10 visits or 10,000 visits, you know, I have, a, I have rent, I have, you know, these things. So you have variable costs, things like your um, the common variable costs are things like your clinical supplies, your office supplies, your phone bill, stuff that as your patient volume goes up and down automatically track with, with your patient volume. Um, and, you know, those are the main, 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 you know, costs. The big problem we have is too high a percentage of our costs are fixed. So if you pay all of your staff a salary, for example, all of your labor is fixed overhead. If they treat 10 patients less in a week, you didn't pay them any less. That's a fixed expense, um, just like your rent, right? So the, uh, the challenge, and this is, so it's cultural. Chad, you could talk a lot about that, right? How you align um, the, the culture of your workforce with essentially aligning risk and risk share with, with your people. And the practices that have done that successfully, that have taken a good chunk of their labor cost and aligned it with their revenue are more scalable and more stable. It's, it's super important. Um, the 2020 was, was the, 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 you know, the pandemic year, right? The COVID pandemic, but it, it showed us that we have a margin pandemic. We have a data pandemic. We have a we have a cost. We have a structure pandemic. We have all these things that it, it brought light to. Um, and to me, you know, as challenging as it was, and as hard as everybody had to work, and as stressful as it was, you know, step back, 
use good data, learn from the, the, the scenarios that you're subject to and evolve, right? Um, you want your, your, your goal is to have a business where you could grow scale and profitability all at the same time. So um, I need to peek at a spreadsheet real quick. Hopefully you guys can still see me, right? Um, here's, I'm gonna just throw some numbers at you. Um, if here, I'm gonna I'll give you a, a, a typical practice scenario, okay? So here's, your, here's the drivers. And anybody that would like to have me do this for them, for their specific practice, just send me an email and I'll connect you to this and plug you in. So if you're doing $90 a visit, you treat a patient 10 times on average, you're the national average 11% margin, you 800 visits a month, which means you have about 80 new patients a month. Um, your therapists treat about 200 visits a month. Your labor costs are around 55%. Um, and, and, and if you were to sell your practice at a kind of average multiple today for this kind of practice, you might be looking at a multiplier of four apps, okay? So have a mental picture. How do you compare to that scenario? We can change these variables very easily, but if, if that's the scenario, if that's who we have, a 5% increase in revenue per visit and a 5% decrease in cost per visit raises the net value of your new patient. Okay, your, your positive cash flow on a new patient is raised by 86%. Okay, in the scenario, the net value of a new patient is $99. That means after all of your revenue and all of your expense, what you profit from a new patient at 10 visits, 99 bucks. Raising revenue per visit, 5%. Lowering cost per visit, 5%. Increases that to $184. That's an 86% in net value of a new patient, which translates into 100% extra profit. Um, and if you drill this down um, into, you know, um, now your margin went from 11% to 20%. Um, your cash flow went up significantly, and this is that's the main driver of, of practice valuation. Um, and that would return to you at a 4x multiplier an extra payment of $700,000. So I can tell you that it is time very well spent to look at how could you start to marginally bump revenue per visit up and cost per visit down. The return on that investment is unprecedented. It is, it is just enormous. Um, this math is solid. And now you talk about, now I can scale that, right? Now I'm going to get more new patients on that valuation, on that value of a new patient versus where I'm at. It compounds itself just tremendously. The, the impact is, it's astronomical. Um, and I could run every scenario you could possibly imagine. On, um, I could tell you with, with when we take new clients in who are, are really just 
uh, you know, not to peer on the bush. They're just terrible. They're, they're, they're in, in an awful condition. Room for they, improvement. Room for improvement. Um, five, I've, I've seen 800% ADO scores. 800%, meaning it's supposed to take you 32, 30 days to get paid. It's taking 240. I'm not kidding. I, I've, that's the worst I've ever seen. 800% ADO score. Bringing that down to 100% increased revenue per visit, 50%. And it was all there to be fixed. You didn't have to buy anything, change much, except for really, really implement better processes, better structures, controls, things like that. So um, if you're feeling really, really good about, you know, that you've maximized that net value of your patient, it's time to really focus on, on scaling and growing. If you're feeling like you've got some room for improvement there, it's time to really focus on moving that revenue per visit up through process optimization, through plugging all the leaks. There's a whole list of things. There's many, many things that have to be looked at. Lining cost structures better, driving that down has huge impact. And then now you've got something much more stable to really scale and, and grow on. Two quick questions. Um, this is really a recommendation from Cindy. I think you're going to need some time to uh, build this out. Are there some baseline benchmark metrics that you can share, Bob, for some of the key billing processes? I know you listed 27 or so processes um, in terms of uh, time that it should take for various tasks. Yes, um, I'll give you the big one. Under At a 100% ADO score, meaning the condition of things is very good, you're never going to be perfect, okay? There's always going to be claim here, claim there, whatever, right? But I'm saying that your condition is very good. Accounts receivables work should consume about 40 to 45% of all of your billing process time. So if I have two billers, both 40 hours a week, essentially one of them is nearly full-time. On AR. On AR. Great. If you're already close to perfect. If you're at 200% ADO score, you will need to increase the time in accounts receivables management to bring it down by triple. It's just the fact of life. So, so the, the amount of time is directly related to the condition and your bottom. Quick question from Brian, and then we'll, we'll wrap up this session. Um, so in terms of labor cost, is there a formula to determine the right salary? It, it, let, let's say that for everybody here, is there a general rule of thumb on when we're looking at cost, percentage of revenue that should be dedicated to total team expense? Um, I would want to be under 55%. Under 55, great. Bob, are you uh, Audible, Kindle, or paper, paperback? Do you have this book, new Jim Collins book? I don't have that one. Um, I, I, am, I read everything pretty much on you know, eBooks on my phone or whatever. So yeah, we'll, we'll send you a copy of this. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank oh. you not only for the work that you've done here, but also the uh, tireless work that you did in 2020. I think we were on uh, over 60 sessions together in 2020, uh, helping owners. Um, and I, I mean, most of those you were bringing your A game for helping people uh, and many of the owners here navigate PPP, HHS funding, financial planning. Um, it, it was an emergency. We had a huge, um, you know, 
huge crisis nice. for many of us and you helped us survive. So uh, everybody, if you give some Bob some love uh, in the chat, that would be great. Hey, while you're loving me, um, just uh, new, the new, new PPP, if you have a quarter in 2020 that was reduced compared to 2019 by 25% or more, there's more money available. That should be all of us. Yeah, so that's, there's, there's more money available. Even if you already got a PPP loan, um, under $2 million uh, max loan level, they just kind of came out and clarified a lot of the details on what just happened in the last few weeks. Um, so if you're still struggling, you need some more money, um, and you had a, a quarter in 2020, that the comparable quarter in 2019, you were on a revenue basis, top line revenue, 25% or less, um, go back into the process and, and start applying for a new PPP loan. There we, I know you went through it. You're, for, you're forgiven. I got 100% forgiveness yesterday. So happy to help with, with that kind of stuff still. Great. Thank you again, Bob. Okay, see you, Chad.